Thanks for joining us and welcome to the Shelf Care Interview. This is audiobook editor Heather Booth, and today we're talking with Olivia Matthews and Janina Edwards, the author and narrator of Murder by Page One, produced by Dreamscape Audio. Olivia Matthews is the cozy mystery pseudonym of award-winning author Patricia Sargent. A voracious reader, she's been inspired by writers such as Walter Mosley, Dick Francis, and Tammy Hogue, who put ordinary characters in extraordinary situations. Raised in New York City, she lives with her husband in Ohio. Janina Edward is an Earphone Award winner, a graduate of New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, and recorded her first audiobook in 1987. She excels in portraying authentic characters and voices the African diaspora, West Africa, Southern and U.S., and West Indies. Two of her titles have been Audio Award finalists. Janina's voice can be heard in corporate and education recordings and for meditation. Janina is also a yoga teacher, a musician who plays the violin and kirtan walla, and is owned by two cats. So, ladies, please tell me about Murder by Page One. Well, Murder by Page One is the first book in the Peach Coast Library mystery series. It features a fish-out-of-water librarian who is a native New Yorker and relocates to the small, fictitious southern town of Peach Coast, Georgia, for a career advancement. And while she's there, the first mystery is that one of her new best friends is suspected of murder. So to help clear her friend's name, she starts an investigation of her own. So in Murder by Page One, the librarian, Marvy, she's new in town, like you mentioned, Olivia. Peach Coast is such a vibrantly written location. It's You can really get a feel for this new community that she's in. Janina, I know you have lived in many parts of the country. I wondered, Olivia, if you have also been the new girl in town like Marvy, and how each of you thinks experiencing new places informs your ear either for writing vibrant places or voicing the characters who live in these places. That's a, a really great question, Heather. I have been the new person in town in several different experiences. And just like Marveille, I, I grew up in New York City, which is, it's, it's a bigger metropolitan area. You have your small communities within that big city, but it's a, a bigger metropolitan area. And one of my first relocations was when I moved to where I live now, Columbus, Ohio, to attend Ohio State University. Heavens to Betsy, it was a great cultural shift for me. And I went back to that experience when I started writing Marvay in Peach Coast. It's like, okay, what are they saying? What are they doing? And everybody seems to know everybody else and I don't know anyone. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it in those terms until, you know, this question was brought up in preparing for this. And as with many things, my first answer is, oh, that has nothing to do with it. And then I thought about it. I was like, actually, in some ways, I'm from Chicago originally. I went to, as was mentioned, New York University. And I'd certainly been other places before I went to college. But there's nothing like going out, moving to another place, being on your own for the first time and just really having to figure things out. But what I loved about New York was meeting all these voices, you know, all, all the accents and all that. And like, you know, you see people on TV or in movies and it's like, oh, here's a Brooklyn accent or whatever. And then you're there and it's like, oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> this is how you actually talk or other things. And as a Black person, I actually, if you know your history in Chicago and some other places, historically Black people, African-American Black people versus Caribbean or something, 
we tend to have a, a history of family members being in the South because of slavery, et cetera. And then during the one of the different phases of the Great Migration, somebody in the family came north and they went along the train lines. So they went to Harlem or they went to Ohio or they went to Chicago. And that's the general history of many Black people in America, Black American people. But when I got to New York, it was like, oh, wait, you're Black and I'm going to ask you what time it is and you're going you're to come back and speak French to me. Or you're speaking Spanish. And it's like, oh, wow. It was like, it was really eye-opening to realize Black people can be from anywhere also. So my fascination and enjoyment of listening to different voices and different people's experiences connects to that. Not necessarily how I voice the book, but in terms of my interest and enjoyment of other characters and voices, definitely that plays in. Oh, that's so interesting. So yeah, I can see how that, you know, just the connection to exploring voice and character through voice would relate back there. I wonder if any of the characterizations that you created for the narration were especially fun or maybe a little bit more difficult than others to create. And then Olivia, when you heard the recording, if any of the characterization, any of the voicings were particularly entertaining to you or were surprising to you in any way? So I think that how people talk is fascinating. And I think one of the joys and challenges of audiobooks, at least the traditional format of an audiobook, if there's a traditional, is a one-person narration. You get to be everybody. And that is the fun of it. <laughs> and that's the challenge of it. And so in terms of accents versus a, a stage actor or a film actor, I'm not just going to go and perfect one person's accent or one particular voice because I've got to get everybody, <laughs> at least within a range of plausibility, if not believability. So, you know, you'll, you'll see about, you know, Meryl Streep or somebody like, you know, dives in and does a Polish accent or whatever. I need to get a flavor of that. And then keep stepping because there's 20 other people and Olivia has given us this rich palette of characters. So I've got to get all of them into some believable degree. Accents are also, they're not monolithic. There's no one Spanish accent. There's no one Southern accent. So, and we narrators have their sources for listening to authentic voices, aside from just walking around and listening closely. But there's online sources, of course, that we can use. So for me, developing those voices is a combination of a reading the book, which I always do first. And the author is going to give you a lot of the information about how that person should sound between if there's accents, the accents, just characteristics, you know, they have a quiet voice, they have a loud voice, and they're you know, stricter and whatever it is, you know, they're going to give you that information. And then also it's about where that person, yes, it's about where they come from in the country, but also what they aspire to be, who their parents are, where they are in the generational aspect of their family. So often, not always, but often somebody who's, you know, your elder, your grandparents, generally they're going to have that deeper accent. But someone younger, they're exposed to other things. They might want to go other places so they don't necessarily sound like their grandparents for many different reasons and their educational academic ambitions. So I say all that to say that it's fun. And, and again, the author is giving me much of what I need to play with that. And for me, it's a balance of geographic accent and characteristics. And then that character, what, you know, are they, and I should say, actually, so another part is the, you'll hear actors talk about the intentionality of that character. So even if I don't do anything with my voice, someone who's angry is going to sound different from someone who's sad or whatever. There, there's going to be a difference. So that's a very long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I thought that answer was so fantastic because it gives me 
a deeper understanding of how you were able to bring those characters to life. The first time I listened to uh, Murder by Page One, I was on my treadmill, trying not to asphyxiate myself. And listening to Janina read the story, I forgot where I was. Despite the fact that I was like seconds away from cardiac arrest, I forgot where I was because her voice carried me away. And having helped to develop those characters, part of me was enjoying the story, but part of me was like, how did she know to do that with my characters? How was she able to flesh them out so well? And, and now I understand everything that went into it. You did such a beautiful job. You told me what to do. <laughs> That's because you're a good writer. So all of that information is in there. And I think I told you in some other conversation, I am a spreadsheet person for every book, um, unless it's like really short and I don't need to do it. There's, I have a spreadsheet. One page of the spreadsheet is pronunciation questions um, because you read it first because there's going to be language I just don't know how to say, or that may be particular to a particular area. And I want to make sure I say it with the tonality of that particular region. And then there's a character list. And I literally have the name of the character, local qualities that you've told me about as author that that person has, and then a notes section that tells me where that character lies in terms of the plot or other things that just strike me that I want to know about them. Or again, maybe that, yeah, they were born poor in Southern whatever, but they want to be president. So they're going to, they're not going to have the same speech that their mother would because, you know, but you tell me all that. (laughs) That's how I know. It is so wonderful. I mean, you have this great text with these great characters in this such a vibrant location. And then to hear it all come together, I feel like that just it gives it so much more. It, it all fits so well in this recording. It was it was such a nice partnership between the, Olivia's words and Janina's narration. I think it was fantastic. So without getting too controversial, I do have a question about something that mystery genre fiction and audiobooks have in common, which is that often people feel the need to say, apologize in some way for being a mystery reader, particularly, or an audiobook reader. As a librarian, sometimes we'll have to say like, no, 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 it's all reading is reading, you know, don't apologize for your reading taste. And I was speaking with somebody the other day who said, oh, well, I just read mysteries. And then just mysteries. That's huge. That's a lot. Tell me your favorite. I'm listening to Murder by Page One. It's fantastic. So I wondered if you wanted to speak to your fans, your mystery reader fans, or your audiobook fans who find themselves defending their type of reading interest. You want to go first? Oh, heaven. (laughs) You know, I'll try not to get too agitated or stand on a soapbox for too long, but I think people who have these debates are missing the point. To what you said, Heather, people are reading, and I truly believe that books have superpowers. They have the ability to build bridges and to break down walls. So the fact that people are reading, whether it's mystery or romance, comic books or sci-fi, let's celebrate that people are reading. They're building connections. They're starting conversations. And whether it's print, ebook, or audiobook, celebrate the reading. Amen. My own response, and, and we t- talked about this a little bit, is to me, it's all of you. 
It's not either or, it's both and. So, you know, it's, I call them purists. Like my dad has a wall of books that he's deceased and that I'm having trouble letting go of because there's so much a part of him. So trust me, I grew up with a love of books. That's why I do this because I still love books, but it's not either or, it's both and. I can love the printed word for one thing and I can enjoy the audiobook. If you see a book and it's made into a film or a TV, it just means that more people get to experience it. And Yes, I'm sure we've all experienced the book becoming a movie or a TV show. And we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they let go of whatever characters or, you know, combine things. But still, it's another artistic expression of the piece. We don't say, well, only one orchestra gets to do Beethoven. <laughs> it's like, no, the piece is written. You have all these different companies that perform it and you get something from each one and you get recordings of it. And those recordings are awesome too, because it gets to more people, they get to enjoy it. And I'll say one more thing along those lines. For me, this and these are this is true. My daughter in middle school, they were reading Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston, which is an wonderful book, one of my favorite books. And my daughter was reading it and she, and it's written in black dialect. They're in the Florida and, you know, they're talking and it's written that way. And she wasn't getting it. She's like, what? I don't know. You know, I'm not enjoying this. I don't know what they're saying. And this is before I was doing this for a living. I started reading it out loud to her. And she was like, oh, this is like Aunt Bert. And I was like, yes. <laughs> so it was like, not only did she start to understand it, she started to actually connect to it because like, oh, these are like our family members. We, we have people who talk like this and you know, we have whole communities who talk like this. And uh, similarly, or in a different way, when um, the girl with the dragon tattoo was all the rage, right? People that recommended it. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll bite. And I got the book and I started to read it. And I was like, there's so much, like the first 30 pages is like exposition. It was just, and I was like, why? <laughs> I can't, I kept, starting and stopping. I couldn't make it through. And then I picked up the audiobook of Simon Vance um, doing it. And he, I believe he's done all the all that author's works. He got me through those first 30 pages. I got hooked. I, you know, I did I ran through through the whole series because he helped me get through that and helped me get the nuance of those first 30 pages that I couldn't, I just couldn't do it on my own. But then I also have the book so I could read the book. I love the physical book. When I'm studying something, I love to be able to go back and actually be old school and write notes and whatever. But I can also listen to it in my car or while I'm doing whatever. It's not either or. It's both and. Nobody's, you know, there's there really are no audiobook police. <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. More books for more people in more formats sounds like a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, so... The main character here is a librarian. I know as a librarian, I mentioned before to, when we were chatting, I so appreciated that she has to do things like statistics and things like marketing are actually taken into account in uh, her work life. It's not all just sitting at the desk and checking out books, which, you know, some people wrongly think that that's all there is to it. I wondered if either of you have library or librarian stories that you would like to share. Well, I love a good library. I, I mean, I guess I could... I, First of all, in the work that I do, as I mentioned, there are narrators who claim they don't read the book first. The ones I admire and that I wish to grow up to be do read the book first, and then they research. And so that can involve, if not the physical library, an online library. So you are making sure you can, you know the language, looking up words that I think I know that I find out I actually don't know how to say, finding out about, I, I mean, you have to balance the amount of research you do, but this, the library is a rich source for obviously for all of that. And then also, I mean, just on a personal level, my daughter's grown. She's 32 now, but 
when I was in grad school and other times, the library was the safest, you know, that was our go-to, to not have to spend money and come back wealthy. So we would go there. I could take her to the children's area. And, you know, I want to get this book and this book and this book and this book and this book. Can I do that? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you can have all of this because we have a library card. You know, we would go into the stacks. That I went to the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana. We would go in the stacks and, you know, pull out art books and all that. It was just, it just made, I felt so wealthy. And in fact, though things financially are good for me, one of the things, if for some reason I feel impoverished emotionally or or financially, going to the library and taking out as many books as I like is like, I don't know, there's just something about that that just works for me. It's like, I am wealthy. I, you know, I have a stack of books, CDs, audiobooks, magazines, and just like, there's something about that that just always worked for me. So anyway, there you go. Oh, that's lovely. I agree. That's lovely. You know, Hannah, I have, and I'm not exaggerating, I have a lot of library stories, but I want to share a small one that happened to me just this morning, as a matter of fact. Yesterday, we did an online book club chat about Murder by Page One, and someone asked me, why did I choose a librarian as an amateur sleuth? So I explained, it was kind of a lengthy explanation, and I ended it by saying, librarians are a wealth of knowledge, and they know so much about the community they serve and the services offered in that community. And as I'm typing that, because it was an online chat, it occurred to me, you know, (laughs) it's true. Librarians know a lot about the services in the community. And I have a question that is not pertaining to the library, but I'm just going to step out on faith and get on my library's chat feature and see if someone can help me. So I I logged on and I I explained. This doesn't have anything to do with the library, but I'd like to ask you this question. My father-in-law just passed. My mother-in-law has dementia, and we're trying to figure out a strategy to give her care because my my sister-in-law can't do it by herself anymore. Do you know of any community resources? Here are the ones I've already contacted and they couldn't help me. Do you know of anything? And they did. They were able to provide me with a phone number and a department to call. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I think that's such a rewarding part of the job. And it's so nice when people recognize that that's something that libraries can help with. And just helping be that, you know, we librarians connect people to books, but also to resources and to other parts of the community. And I'm so glad you had that experience of finding what you needed. It, it was wonderful. And it, it speaks to, thank you for saying that, Heather. And it speaks to what I'm trying to convey in the Peach Coast Library Mystery Series. Libraries are more than books and CDs and DVDs and magazines and newspapers. Libraries have, they offer community services. And when you don't recognize that, libraries, they aren't getting the support they need to support the community. We have to recognize that. I read something, this is a while ago, but they were talking about how when a disaster has happened, like a tornado or some other thing has has occurred, 
one of the first things, one of the most important things for them to get back up and running immediately is like the library. Because for the information source for, I mean, nowadays we've got computers there and and other communication devices. People can get, you know, it, it feeds you in many, many other ways aside from just the, the physical book form. But that, I remember I remember being struck by that. I was like, one of the first things that need to get back up is the library. Oh, that's such an excellent point. I used to work for a university that shall remain nameless. The people I worked with in the marketing department, when we would do interviews to replace a position, for example, one of the questions I would ask is, do you have a library card? You're in communication. Do you have a library card? And if the person said no, I would not give that person my support in the hiring decision because you're a communicator. How could you not have a library card? And that that university, it did not support its university library. And how can you have academic programs and you want to create new academic programs, but you want to cut the library's budget? That that does not make sense. And of course, that is one of my, that is my favorite line from the book. <laughs> Every time I was like, just like, we're talking, we're talking to you have a library card? Oh, yes. <laughs> so for our podcast listeners, this is a frequent question that the librarian amateur sleuth is asking in the course of her investigation. Do you have a library card? <laughs> Which is just so endearing. <laughs> well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I wondered if either of you have any final thoughts you wanted to add or other recommendations of books that you are reading or listening to that you'd like to share or final thoughts. Um. Janina, if I, if I might jump in, I just want to once again say how very enchanted I was to hear you narrating the story. You did such a beautiful job. And one of the things that I really admire about your body of work is that you don't just narrate in one genre. You narrate across genres, fiction and nonfiction. And I, I, that's just very thrilling to me. I've been really blessed with work, and I, I'm so appreciative of of the opportunity to narrate, but also, again, as you said, the the breadth of, and I love that about this work, and that, that producers and publishers allow me to do, I mean, some people get in a, a niche, and though most of my characters are, most of the time, the, the books I do are by Black authors, or have a Black subject, or are about black life, but within that, they can be about anything and anybody. And, and that just delights me to, especially in the last year or so, we've had so much, you know, racial unrest and all the rest of it. So I do all this social commentary and I need a good, I need Marvie. <laughs> I need Marvie after that. I'm like, I need a woman. I just need a few dead bodies and you know, the library system after that. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I will out myself in that, you know, going back to your conversation about people feeling if you've got to apologize. I am a old school romance lover. I'm a big Nora Roberts fan, have been for years. And January Lavoie uh, has voiced a lot of her her books and Julia Whalen and, you know, a good Nora Roberts. I'm good. Uh, that helps me a lot. And I love Molly Harper. She does this whole werewolf romance, you know, that whole genre Amanda Ronconi does those for her and they're just fun. And I mean, because I do this for a living, I mean, I love to read, but because I read all the time for this, it generally needs to be lighter for me. And I do love a good Simon Vance. I do love how much you both talked about the joy and fun that you find in reading. And 
you know, we can learn so much through these characters and these places and these books, but it all comes back to it's enjoyable. It's just, it's a fun thing. How lucky are we that it's part of our daily lives? (laughs) Well, thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you to author Olivia Matthews and narrator Janina Edwards. Murder by Page One is available now in both print and on audio. Thanks again to our sponsor, Dreamscape Media, and happy reading. Happy reading.